You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Two thousand and twenty-two has been another remarkable year in the unfolding purpose of our God. You know, we should see it in, in relationship to what has preceded it. And I want to just start to, today in the same way that I've started on previous occasions, and that is to go back seven years in time, to have a look at the wonderful things that have happened in that period of time, to see the unfolding purpose of God, the fulfilling of Bible prophecy. And tonight, of course, we're going to be focusing particular on 2022. We want to see it in its context. So here's the package of signs since 2015 again. In October 2015, Russia entered the Syrian conflict, you may recall. The Arab Spring, which began in 2011, finally culminated in Russia going into Syria. And Netanyahu was then the Prime Minister of Israel, acknowledged that Israel has a Russian border now. In the following year, June 2016, Britain, of course, voted against all the odds, it seemed, to lead the European Union under what was called Brexit. Now, it was a painful and drawn-out process to ultimately bring that to its culmination. But finally, in early 2020, Britain had left Europe for good. And, of course, we know that that has a strong relationship to the chapter we've just read, to one verse in particular, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 13. In 2017, of course, was the first year of Donald Trump's leadership in America. And while, of course, he made a mess of some things, he did one thing very, very important. He promoted peace between Israel, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. And that was to culminate, a couple of years later, in the what was called the Abraham Accords. A bit more about that later on. In December 2017, the Likud party, that's Netanyahu's party in Israel, against his will, by the way, he did not attend the meeting where this was decided, they decided as a party that they would pursue the annexation of the West Bank. Now, there are three parts to the West Bank. Part A, which is closer to Jerusalem, Part B and Part C, further to the north. Their initial intention was to assume control of Part A, because that's where a lot of the Jewish settlements are being built. And so that was a very, very significant event in relation to Bible prophecy, as we shall see when we come to have a briefer look uh, later on at Ezekiel 38 and verse 8, which requires that when God comes down upon the mountains of Israel, that the West Bank be part of Israel proper. 2018, there was the promotion by CANSAC. That's an acronym for Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the United Kingdom. That's a trade organisation and they received, of course, a huge boost due to Brexit and Britain is rebuilding now its close ties or closer ties with former colonies called, of course, in Ezekiel 38 verse 13, the Young Lions. In 2019, Australia's relationship with China began to fall apart. It began to unravel. China, of course, is still Australia's largest trading partner, but there's problems there. And so Australia has been forced to seek trade with other countries, especially with Britain and, by the way, India. With both of those countries, we now have a free trade agreement. In 2020, the COVID pandemic guaranteed a global financial crisis due to increasing national debt to literally staggering levels. In early 2021, counterintuitively, of course, uh, property, house and property prices skyrocketed due to low interest rates and increased savings from the lockdowns. People couldn't spend their money on anything else, thus creating a huge bubble that everybody knows must soon burst. In mid-2021, the relaxation of many COVID restrictions saw an outburst of what we expect at the return of Christ, eating and drinking and making merry. And and we see that, of course, now because of the the absence of any COVID restrictions, even though COVID hasn't gone away. In late 2021, rising inflation around the world saw the rapid rise of historically low interest rates, which was, by the way, one major cause 
of the 29th of October 1929 stock market crash, which many experts are now saying will shortly be repeated. See the same things happening all over again. So that's putting 2022 in its appropriate context. We have to see that the, the hand of God has been at work in a way that, by the way, we haven't seen for a long, long time. But in this last seven years, we have seen clear indications that the angels are at work to bring to pass prophecies like Ezekiel 38 and many others as well. So what about 2022? Well, for many of us, brothers and sisters, it's been a long waiting game. None of us expected to ever get anywhere near the end of 2022. I certainly didn't. But we may get into 2023, which many think, by the way, will be the year of Christ's return based on Daniel chapter 12. And they may be proven right. Let's hope they're proven right. The 2022 is a time when people are in expectation of trouble. Trouble is in the future and they know it for many, many reasons. And the numerous natural disasters that we have seen this year are blamed on climate change. That is marked this year. And while I stand here, there are people along the River Murray in South Australia preparing for flooding that they haven't seen the like of since the early 1950s. And there are many other people in this country who are now homeless because of the disasters that have overtaken. That's not to mention what's happened around the world. There have been some staggering things happening, and they are happening so rapidly that they don't get time to breathe between the disasters. I'm going to ask the question a little later on. Is that just as a consequence of, clim of climate change or is it something else? I'm going to suggest to you that scripture tells us it is actually something else. The COVID-19 pandemic continued to edge the world towards economic collapse. It just won't go away, will it? Our hospital system right at the moment is in, in dire straits. Uh, not only in, in this state, but in other states as well. But I think most of us will recognise that the greatest and most important event that occurred in 2022 occurred on the 24th of February, when Russia invaded the Ukraine. And while Russia has not had the immediate and expected success and are apparently on the back foot, we know that Putin is playing the long game. And he's using what might be termed as relentless destruction. Destruction of infrastructure. So he's destroying things that people need, especially in the winter. He's destroying electricity stations. He's destroying access to all other things that are necessary in winter. He wants, of course, to, to freeze Ukraine uh, into submission. Whether that will work, only time will tell. But the other, a major thing that I think has occurred this year, which has really not been on the radar of many people, is that China's economy has stalled. It's stalled for a number of reasons, due to drought, because the rivers are not flowing like they usually flow in China, and they depend a lot on the generation of power in the hydro stations that they have along their rivers. And because that's not been happening, they haven't been able to supply power to the millions of businesses that are producing the goods that you and I go and buy off the shelves of Bunnings and other places. So China's economy is tanked. But of course, the other thing that's, that's caused problems for China is their strict COVID lockdowns. Uh, and on top of that, you have worldwide inflation, which of course makes buying Chinese goods more difficult anyway. So it seems as though the angels are at work in relation to China. You know, when I uh, was uh, working for the Reserve Bank, uh, back in the 1990s, there were folks saying, experts saying, that if China's economy ever got below 6%, the rest of the world would go into a recession. Well, it's now 3 point something. It's well below 6%. And we know, of course, it's not going to get any better in the next 12 months when there's an expectation of a global financial catastrophe a depression like that of the 1930s. Inflation and rising interest rates cause worldwide turmoil and hardship. How many of you are happy with your food bill right now? What about when you pull up at the service station? You are suffering the same thing that I'm suffering. Money doesn't go as far anymore, does it? What about the people who are now paying $1,200 to $1,500 more a month on their mortgages that they weren't paying 12 months ago? 
How do you think they're getting on? So there's a, and this is just not here in Australia, it's global. It's affecting everybody around the world. And so, brothers and sisters, we know that we're living in very serious times. Lebanon's political chaos peaked this year. It saw citizens robbing banks. Yeah, there's been a dozen of them, a dozen robberies, robbing banks to get their own money out. Imagine if you had to take a gun to your bank to get your money out. That's what's happening in Lebanon. Not only do they have that problem, because the banks will not release any money, they have a problem that there's only got two or three hours of electricity in the cities every day, and in the northern parts of the country there is starvation. People are eating trees in northern Lebanon. Now you might say, well, why is that important in the scheme of things? Well, it's important because of that little passage that we read in Ezekiel 38 tonight. That when God comes down upon the land, they find Israel in a state of security and peace. And Israel can't have peace while the Hezbollah haunt southern Lebanon. The Hezbollah rule Lebanon. They control the politics of Lebanon. And that's why there's problems there at the moment. And while they are there, supported by Iran, who's supplying weapons through Syria, which is why Israel is attacking many sites in Syria, to stop the arms coming across land from Iran into Lebanon, while this is going on, Israel will never have peace. They'll never have security. There are 26,000 rockets, Hezbollah rockets, aimed at Israel. That has to be solved. Now, I'm not going to suggest to you how that will be solved. We don't know. But what we do know is it has to happen. And what we're seeing happening in Lebanon right now is the preparation for what will happen to ultimately bring about peace and security for Israel. Israel has continued, of course, to build settlements in the West Bank, which is why there's turmoil there at the moment. And, of course, Israel's shaky government that they've had for 12 months was ousted in recent elections to return Benjamin Netanyahu to power, and that almost ensures annexation of the West Bank and some very distinct policy changes in relation to Iran in particular. Now, we've got to wait and see because that government has only just been sworn in. But it, it consists of strong, right-wing Israeli political parties that will not, that will not in any way submit to the, to the weak approach of the previous government. So the interesting things will happen, we believe, in Israel. And now, of course, Netanyahu is fully on board with the annexation of the West Bank. So watch out for that. That's Ezekiel 38, verse 8 which I referred to a little while ago. It says that when God comes down upon the mountains of Israel, Israel will be at peace and have security. Now, the mountains of Israel are, 90% of them, of course, in the West Bank. And so that has to be in the possession of Israel. It has to be part of Israel proper at the time of Armageddon. And we are watching things happen that are taking events in that direction. Now, the other thing that was very significant about this year was the, the death of Queen Elizabeth II. She had reigned for 70 years on the throne of Britain. And we believe there's a fulfilment of Isaiah 23 and verse 15 in at least that verse. But that whole chapter has relationship to the events that we have witnessed this year. And we'll go there a little later on and have a brief look at Isaiah chapter 23. Britain endured, of course, a lot of trouble this year. There was political chaos. There were three prime ministers this year in Britain. Uh, and as a result of one of them, the financial markets were thrown into chaos. And in actual fact, Britain is currently in recession. Uh, the, the definition of recession, as you'll see a little later on, is you have uh, negative growth for two quarters. And they've had negative growth for two quarters. So Britain's in, in a really parlous state financially at the moment. And, of course, they're trying to dig themselves out of that. But if you ask me what I think is perhaps the most significant sign and the one that is sort of in your face every day, it is the maturity of humanism around the world. You know that passage? Come with me to Revelation chapter 16. I don't know that we hear enough about this in our community. 
This is one of the most significant prophecies of the scripture because it relates directly to you and me and it is impacting you and me. In fact, there's, there's hardly a soul on earth that's not being impacted by the fulfilment of this prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13 of Revelation 16, and we know, of course, this chapter deals with events from the time of the French Revolution and the pouring out of the vials of the wrath of God. And we know where we're up to. Verse 12 is about the drying up of the, of the great Euphrates or the Turkish Empire. Then, of course, we have the events of the French Revolution and their effect upon humanity in verse 13. We have what's called three unclean spirits, like frogs. And the frog, of course, identifies the French. We're all pretty familiar uh, with this, I'm sure. So what we have here is the effects of the French Revolution upon society generally and upon all being around the earth. And that's what the Lord said would happen, because he talks in verse 14 about that happening. For they are the spirits or ideologies, the, the way of thinking, and that's what that word spirits means in the context, of devils. So what we've got here is a word in the Greek, daemon, from which we get the English word demons. And of course, in the days of Christ, it was thought that if you had some kind of disease, you'd been affected by a demon. It wasn't the fact, of course, but that's how they, they used their language at that time. So what we have here is spirits of madness, because if you were insane, they said you, you were overtaken by a demon. So we've got spirits or attitudes or ideologies of madness or insanity. And if you go through the scripture in the New Testament, look up that word, you'll find it used variously. And in James chapter 3, verse 15, you've got a cognate word, which you can see there, which is, which is rendered confusion and every evil work. So these demons produce confusion and every evil work. So insanity ends up producing confusion and evil works. And that's exactly what the spirits of the French Revolution have done. And those three spirits, you go to France, you see it all over the place, all on government buildings. Liberty, equality and fraternity. And of course what that means in its amplification is the abandonment of anything that's got to do with restricting human liberty. If that means you've got to reject divine principles and God's laws, you reject them. If they stand in your way to do what you want to do, they go out the window. Now, of course, as in all of these matters, there are what you might call good things in them. And that's what deceives people. It's not wrong to release slaves, is it? It's not wrong to stop the kind of behaviour we see around the world where, where women are taken and traded. It's not wrong to see children abused, uh, uh, to have that released and, and got rid of. So, you know, people say, oh, it's great to have these things. But the problem is that God's laws play no part at all. They don't come into it at all. They are abandoned. Now, I see in this world a pushback against liberty, equality and fraternity. And just yesterday, it was announced that the Indonesian government had passed legislation in Parliament to forbid sex outside of marriage. You can spend 12 months in jail in Indonesia now. Now, that's a pushback because they want to stop homosexuality and gay marriage. That's what they're about. Now, here we've got, I think, clear evidence that we're very close to the return of Christ because the very next verse, and I'm going to read verses 14 and then verse 15, which, by the way, in the text is in parenthesis. It's bracketed off. Verse 14 says, For they, these three unclean spirits, liberty, equality and fraternity, they are, he says, spirits of demons or insanity, working signs, it's not miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth, so governments around the world are going to be impacted by it. Is there a government that's not impacted by it? No. There are some who are standing up for certain things, but they're all impacted by it. And it says of the whole world, the word is oikomeni, the inhabited world, which means that every soul on earth is going to be affected by it. 
to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And the purpose of the great day of the battle of God Almighty is to destroy it. It's to destroy those who stand for these things. To rid the earth of the three unclean spirits like frogs. That's why the great day will come. Look at the next verse. Behold, says Christ. He snatches the pen from John's hand, as it were, because it's been John speaking up to now. He takes the pen from John's hand and he says, Behold, I come as a thief. I'm going to catch a lot of people unprepared for my return. I'm going to catch a lot of people in the wrong place. That's what he's saying. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. He's basing it, of course, upon the practice of the time. When if you were a guard standing at the gates of Jerusalem and the temple overnight and you were found sleeping on the job, the next morning you were taken out. That garment was ripped off you and burnt before your eyes and you were dismissed from temple service, never to return to it again. So Christ is telling us that he was very, very concerned that his own community would be impacted by these three unclean spirits like frogs. That, I believe, we have seen so much of it this year, is one of the greatest signs of how close we are to the return of Christ. Now, that little phrase out of James chapter 3, in verse 15, the word that is used there about confusion, that word has the idea of a state of disorder, disturbance, or confusion, or tumult. And when you go through the translations, you find that's the way that this word is rendered commotions and tumults, we're seeing, of course, that all around the world today. And we have what might be described as the insanity of humanism. Since the 1960s, there has been a relentless assault on previously widely held moral standards that were based on Judeo-Christian values and teachings. They have been largely rejected. The equality of women promoted by the International Women's Year of 1975 is now almost universal, except in some Muslim communities across the globe. You know, even today, we heard that in Victoria, there are something like 569 male statues, but only nine female statues. This is how ludicrous it has become. They are now going to try and get an equal number of female statues in order to bring about equality of the sexes. How ridiculous is it? And of course, homosexuality, once forbidden and frowned upon in society, and today even in some countries, not many by the way, you can still be put to death for it, is now accepted as normal. And same-sex marriage is now protected by law in many countries. But here's the latest insanity. This is how we know that humanism has reached its maturity. Not only have you got pushback against it, but they are now sort of searching for some new thing to do. So what have they done? They have made it possible for children now to nominate their own sex. So when you go to record the birth of a child, you've got three boxes to tick. You can tick male or female, or you can tick other. And let the child when it gets to eight or nine years of age, decide what sex it wants to be. I mean, how ridiculous is that? That's how far they've gone. Sex change operations are now accepted as a human right. And this has brought confusion and vexation in sporting and competitive circles. You know, if you're a male and you want to win a gold medal at the Olympics, why not become a female and go in and race against the females? Because everybody knows that the females are not as strong as the men. That's why in tennis, for example, you don't see males and females competing against one another. They have a separate game for the females because they know they could not win against the men in most cases. So you see the stupidity of all of that. I wonder what God thinks about that because his laws are entirely abandoned in the process. And then we've got the cancel culture, haven't we, which continues to pressure governments to alter history you don't like the history, then rewrite it. That's the, that's the theme of today. The moral laws and principles of the word of God have been completely forgotten and abandoned by this society, which is why when the great day comes, he will 
as the scripture tells us very eloquently in places like Jeremiah 25 and elsewhere, wipe out a good proportion of the human race. And we don't want to be among them. So let's be cautious. Let's keep our garments in these final days. Let's then turn to that major event that occurred on the 24th of February this year. The invasion by Russia of the Ukraine. Now, if you've been following the news reports and listening to Vladimir Zelensky, the president of the Ukraine, and then you would probably think that Ukraine is somehow going to win this war. They're going to regain all their territories in the Donbass in the, even, in the east and the Crimea, and Russia is going to be humiliated and Putin dethroned. That's what we're hearing, basically. Well, I think this, brothers and sisters and young people, is another test for you and me. You know, back in the 1990s, when the, when the Soviet Union collapsed, we had people in our community saying, well, what about your theory on Russia being the go now, eh? What about that? Well, we knew, because if you interpreted Bible prophecy correctly, it will always come to pass. It's just you've got to interpret correctly. And if you interpret it correctly, you stick with it. Because it will come to pass. And what we're now seeing, I think, is a little test. It's not quite as on the same level or scale as 1990s, but it's similar. Because if you're listening to the reports, you get the idea that Russia is not doing very well at all, that they're exhausted and they're going to collapse. That's not what the scripture says. Because the scripture makes it very plain that they are going to be victorious. Now, we don't know exactly the path that has to be taken. We don't know exactly how long that will take. But we know it will come to pass just as Russia returned to world domination in the early part of this century. It was reversed. And this will be reversed. It would be the end of Putin anyway, wouldn't it? He's likely to resort to radical measures like those used in Syria when things weren't going all that well for them. Relentless bombing of civilian populations. Destruction of all infrastructure of any value. And even the use, probably, of chemical weapons like they used in Syria or limited nuclear weapons, which he has threatened. And if you put this man into a corner, he will inevitably use them. But one thing is certain. Putin will not give up on his objectives. Now, I want to make it very clear what his mind is on these things. You've heard the story of the rat before, I'm sure, because I've spoken about it. Vladimir Putin, in an interview in the early 2000s, made it very plain that the greatest lesson of his teenage years was when he cornered a rat in the apartment where they lived. He got a rat in a corner. He was going to grab this rat. But he got the rat to a point where the rat had no option but to jump into his face and escape. And he said, that was the greatest lesson of my young life. In other words, if you put me in a corner, I'm going to be like that rat. I'm going to jump into your face. Which, of course, we know he will do. And the world needs to take notice of that lesson. He will hit out if cornered with no other way of escape. And Bible prophecy, of course, requires many European nations to be part of a Russian confederacy at the time of Armageddon. We'll have a look at the verse which speaks about that in a minute. And Ukraine fatigue is already setting in around Europe. They're tiring of the conflict and the costs of that conflict. And the coming Great Depression will end support for Ukraine and for democracy in Europe. There will be big changes coming. And you can begin to see this happening already. Now, they've just had, of course, what they call COP27. This is the great conference of, of all nations coming together. They came together in Egypt at, at Sharm el-Sheikh a couple of weeks ago. And they sat down and tried to resolve the problem of climate change, to try and maintain at least 1.5 maximum temperature by the middle of the century, and all that sort of stuff, thinking that they can hold on to this and recover themselves from what they can see as a looming disaster coming on the world. But what happened at COP27? Well, some nations got some compensation, or at least the promise of compensation. They haven't got the money yet. But nothing additional was done to stop global warming. Why? 
because nations now who can't access gas from Russia or other things necessary are building coal power stations. China is building one per week. And there are other nations who are now building, India's building coal power stations because of the problems that are going on in the world. So all this business about stopping global warming is out the window. And that's why you can see very, very sad looks on the faces of people who were once champions of change. You know that Greta Thornburg, whatever her name is. Have a look at her face now. She knows the game is up. So you get an idea of what happens. When the crunch comes, it changes people's outlooks. It changes their mind about certain things. That's how these, these things will come to pass. So let's have a look then, shall we, at some of the details here again of Ezekiel 38. In Ezekiel 38, we've got that familiar passage in verse 2. And you're all familiar with this. You've seen these translations before. Both of them are the same. You can see Rotherham and the Amplified Bible are identical. Son of man, set thy face against Gog. Gog is the title of someone who is a dictator. The actual word means one at the top. So there's a, a dictator involved. And he's of the land of Magog. Now that's very significant. That's not what your King James Version says. But it's very important to understand that this Gog, this dictator, is of the land of Magog. Okay, so that's very clear, isn't it? He's the Prince of Rosh, the most ancient form of the name Russia, of Meshech, the Muscovites, that is around the area of Moscow, and Tubal, further to the east, to Siberia, to the area of the River Tobol. So here we've got this power. We're all very familiar with this passage. But this is where you find those places. And I want you to notice where Rosh is. Rosh is here. Now, in actual fact, to be, ex to be extremely particular about this, you should shift him a little bit further to the southwest. You've got Goma, or France, or the areas of, of Western Europe. You've got Magog up in this region. You've got Meshach, Tubal, Tagama, which we read about, and, of course, over here, Persia, the area to the east. So, when you look at what's happening in the Ukraine right now, what is happening is that Putin whose hero was Kiev's first great Rus or Russian emperor, Vladimir I, okay, he's Vladimir Putin's hero, he is endeavouring to restore what has been lost. Now, a portion of this Kievan Rus is actually in Russia, but the other portion is not. It's in Belarus and Ukraine, and that's why Putin wants it. He wants to restore the ancient Russian Empire. He described the fall of the USSR in the early 1990s as the greatest geopolitical disaster in history. And he wants to reverse that. He wants to restore the pride of Russia. And to do that, he wants to have the original homeland of the Rus. And the Rus were based in Ukraine. And Kiev was their first capital in 989 AD, became their first capital. Got a picture? That's why when you read Ezekiel 38 and verse 2, and you read Gog of the land of Magog, Magog, this is what historians tell us was Magog, includes Ukraine and Belarus. Oh yes, Germany over on the, on the west is part of Magog, but it's not the full Magog. So Gog is of the land of Magog. That is the original homeland of the Rus. And he wants to restore it. You don't think that that's correct. Listen to this. Now I've quoted this one before. And I actually quoted two or three pages of it. Just take a couple of paragraphs or one paragraph. From Vladimir Putin's article on the historical unity of Russians and Ukrainians. Written and published on the 12th of July... 2021, a bit over 12 months ago. He wrote, During the recent direct line, direct line is where he speaks, answers questions from the public, when I was asked about Russian-Ukrainian relations, I said that Russians and Ukrainians were one people, a single whole. 
These words were not driven by some short-term considerations or, promote, or prompted by the current political context. Take note of that. It is what I have said on numerous occasions and what I firmly believe. I am confident that true sovereignty of Ukraine is possible only in partnership with Russia. Ukrainians don't think that, but Putin does. Now, an interesting little snippet came from an ABC correspondent in Russia called Norman Hermont. Uh, this was uh, reported on the 24th of May this year, uh, of course, a month or two after the, the invasion of the Ukraine. And this is what he said. As the decision whether to return to the presidency approached in 2011, the Arab Spring revolutions were sweeping the Middle East. The events deeply impacted Putin. Seeing the film footage of the Arab Spring was what caused him to essentially take power back because he didn't think that he could trust Medvedev to keep his grip on power, said Sheftalovich. It's quite well known that he saw the mobile phone footage of Libyan leader Mamouar Gaddafi being captured and then tortured and killed. Apparently, according to those who were close to him, he was horrified by that footage. I think he saw that what was happening to, to Gaddafi could very well happen to him. And it might have happened to him if he'd allowed the revolutions of protest in Russia to continue. But of course he stamped them out viciously. He tried to kill, you remember, the leader of the political opposition in Russia. Uh, uh, poisoned him by putting poison in his underpants, which almost killed him. You know, at the same time that Russia was thinking about the invasion of the Ukraine, notice the date of this article, February 22nd, that's two days before the invasion on the 24th of February, this article came out written by a Joel Rosenberg from All Israel News. And this was its headline. And the world needs to take notice of this. He said, Christians, wake up. If the world doesn't stop Putin, NATO and Israel are next. He's quite right, of course. Putin's alliance with Iran, Syria, tells us all we need to know about his ambitions in the Middle East. And, of course, he goes on to say this in that article. At his core, Putin is a mafia boss, obsessed with power and wealth and willing to rob, kill or destroy to obtain both. Putin sees himself following the tradition of the Russian czars, believing he has a divine right to rule with an iron hand and is permitted to use any means necessary to rebuild the glory of Mother Russia. What a chilling combination. Once you understand, he wrote, all this, you'll understand that Putin doesn't simply want to retake Ukraine. He wants more. Specifically, he wants to force the collapse of NATO as well. You know, mention was made a little while ago of Medvedev. Now, you might remember that Medvedev was the president of Russia between 2009 and 2012. The reason for that was that the Russian constitution at the time only allowed you two terms. Putin became president in 2000. He had to leave office at the end of 2008. But, of course, he didn't leave office. He went into the prime minister's job, took all the powers of the presidency and put him into the prime minister's role and put a token head of state on the, in the presidency, uh, Dmitry Medvedev. Medvedev has sort of been in the background for a while. But he wrote an article... And this came out on the 11th of October this year. And this was the commentary about that particular article. It was very much like the article that Putin himself had written 12 months before. This commentator said, Coming so soon after Putin's own treatise on Ukraine, Medvedev's article is a wake-up call for anyone still clinging to hopes of a negotiated settlement to the conflict in Ukraine. The international community now needs to belatedly accept that Russia's leaders have no intention of living peacefully alongside a sovereign and independent Ukraine. Instead, they view the loss of Ukraine as an existential threat to Russia itself and are prepared to go to extraordinary lengths 
to prevent what they regard as a potential geopolitical catastrophe on a par with the collapse of the Soviet Union. The scale of this Russian obsession with Ukraine should not be underestimated. It has already plunged the world into a new Cold War. And the article I was quoting from, from Rosenberg, in the All Israel News, went on to say this about Israel. Once Putin has seized Ukraine and the Baltics, will any small country be safe from his grasp? Will Israel? His answer is no. Putin's lust for power and wealth will be unstoppable at this point. How long would it be until Putin's allies in Tehran, that's of course the capital of Iran, and Damascus, the capital of Syria, ask him, which side are you on? Ours or Israel's? Why do you let Israel keep attacking Iranian positions in Syria? Why do you let Israel keep threatening to take out Iran's nuclear facilities? You are the new master of the universe. Why don't you show Israel who's boss? Now, I don't know whether this guy Rosenberg got any idea about Bible prophecy. But we understand exactly what he's saying. And we know how important that is. That the day will come when those questions will be asked and Gog will think an evil thought and he will pounce on Israel when it's secure and at peace. Just like Ezekiel 38 requires. You know, I'm going to conclude this little section on the invasion of the Ukraine with this quotation from Brother Thomas in the preface of Elpis Israel. This is what he wrote, amongst other things. When Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, then let the reader know that the end of all things, as at present constituted, is at hand. The long-expected but stealthy advent of the King of Israel will be on the eve of becoming a fact, and salvation will be to those who not only looked for it, but have trimmed their lamps by believing the gospel of the kingdom unto the obedience of faith and the perfection thereof in fruits meet for repentance. That's staggering, isn't it, how appropriate that is right now. A word, though, about Russia's relationship to European nations in particular. Ezekiel 38, verses 5 to 7 says, other countries become part of this confederacy. They include Persia. That's not just Iran. That's the whole region from Syria right across to Pakistan. That's the Persia that Ezekiel was talking about. Ethiopia, or the Sudan, the country to the south of Egypt, which is also going through its tribulations right now. And Libya, similarly going through its tribulations. All of them will end up having dependence upon Russian support. But I don't want to talk about them too much. Just the European nations. And they are embraced in this name, Goma. The Galatians or the Gauls who migrated west to France, Holland and Belgium, according to Josephus and others. These are the nations, what we would call Western Europe today, the European Union nations in particular. They're the ones who are going to come under the umbrella of Gog. Now, how's that going to happen? Well, I'll suggest to you a little later on how that will happen. And then we've got Tagama. Tagama, of course, particularly relates to Armenia, but to that section of eastern Turkey. Not Turkey itself, but eastern Turkey, which once did not belong to Turkey. It was the country of Armenia. That is the Tagama. And, of course, Russia is playing a part there as well. It goes on to say, Be thou prepared, Gog, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. Now, how do you square that with what we see today? Big changes have to come, and those changes will come. And the nations of Western Europe are going to find themselves in the embrace of Russia because they'll have no choice. Remember the feet of the image of Nebuchadnezzar are part of iron and part of clay. The clay represents democracy, republicanism, the kind of thing we're seeing in Europe today. The iron represents the autocratism of religion, particularly the religion of Catholicism and Russian Orthodox. And those things have to be brought together. Now, not, they don't combine, they don't mix, they don't hold, hold together very well, but they'll hold together for a time because of convenience. And that will be brought about by the stresses that will come upon this world in the time when the Great Depression falls. Now, I want you to come, if you would, to Isaiah 23. 
Isaiah 23 is a remarkable chapter. We didn't appreciate it until these events actually came to pass, which is sometimes the case. There were those who could foresee it coming in our community, but most of us didn't see it. What we have, of course, this year is that significant event of the death of Queen Elizabeth II. What a remarkable woman she was, given the nature of the world we live in. What a remarkable person she was. Loyal to her duties to the very end. Very few people make commitments like she made and keep them. And I mean that. Very few keep them. But she did. Now, she wasn't perfect. No human being's perfect. But she was there to play a part in the unfolding of divine prophecy. Isaiah 23. Let's have a look at verse 1. I want you to notice something very carefully here. The burden of Tyre... How ye ships of Tarshish. So, what have we got? Well, we know that Tyre was a great trading power in the times of Isaiah. It was destroyed, of course, by Alexander the Great in 322 BC uh, when he came down into the land and he spent seven months and he overthrew Tyre, destroyed that place as a, as a trading centre. By that time, of course, Tyre had established other very important places to the west. They were in the Adriatic. They were in Spain, and they were particularly in Britain. You can go to the southern part of Britain today and you can see clear evidence of Phoenician settlement. No question about it. They were there for tin and for silver and other stuff. There are some people who say, oh, no, that can't. It is right. Britain is the Tarshish of Ezekiel 38 and Isaiah 23. So Tyre has to transfer its power and influence to another place. And that place became Britain. That's why they're tied together here. It says, how ye the burden of Tyre, how ye ships of Tarshish, for it is laid waste so that there is no house, no entering in from the land of Chittim, it is revealed to them. What this chapter goes on to say is that there was a passing over. If you read through it, you'll find that phrase. Have a look, for example, uh, just a couple of these uh, 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 examples of this passing over. Come down to verse, uh, say... Verse 9, Yahweh of hosts hath purposed it to stain the pride of all glory and to bring into contempt all the honourable of the earth. Pass through thy land as a river, O daughter, notice this is a progeny of Tyre, O daughter of Tarshish, there is no more strength. So when Tyre goes down the gurgler, Tarshish is promoted in the west. There's a passing over of its power to this power Tarshish. Similar words in verse 12. And he said, Thou shalt no more rejoice, O thou oppressed virgin daughter of Zidon. Arise, pass over to Chittim. There also shalt thou have no rest. So, onwards to Britain. And what we have here in this prophecy is clearly setting forth the remarkable events that we saw terminate and begin. There's a termination and a beginning this year, 2022. She died on the 8th of September 2022. On the 6th of February 2022, she had ruled Britain for 70 years. There's only one other monarch in human history that I'm aware of that ruled for more than 70 years, and that was the Sun King of France, Louis XIV. He ruled for 72 years. You don't see many people ruling for anything approaching 70 years. So it's a remarkable thing in its own right. How did that happen? God made sure it happened. Isaiah 23 verses 15 to 18 foreshadowed what, had ha what has happened to Britain in her reign and foreshadows what's going to happen after she dies. Have a look at this chapter. The prophecy concerns Tyre or Tarshish in the latter days. A monarch will sit on the Tarshish throne for 70 years. That's verse 15. Verse 14 says, How ye ships of Tarshish, for your strength is laid waste. They're going to go through a bad time. And it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre shall be forgotten 70 years for, according to the days of one king or one ruler. After the end of 70 years shall Tyre sing as an harlot. Now that's not saying that they're going to go around trading in religion, which of course that language is used of the, of the Catholic system, which is also typed by Tyre, by the way, in certain chapters. It's talking about Britain trading like a harlot. 
That is, what do harlots do? They go out into the streets and whoever comes along, all right, they're ready to trade with them. That's what it's talking about. So we're going to see a burst of trading by Britain. And it's already started. We've got free trade agreements with Britain and Australia, Britain and India, and so on. It's already started. Just as this prophecy would imply. Its trading power will be in economic decline during the years of that one ruler who rules for 70... When did Britain's problems begin? When Queen Elizabeth came to the throne. The Second World War had taken away much of British power. They lost their colonies. India became independent. There was all sorts of things going on. 1952, the Egyptians went their own way. So Britain began to decline. And its navy began to decline. And its trading began to decline. And in, in the end, they decided that their only hope was to join Europe. And so they did. They went into Europe and were there, of course, until 2020. But now they're out. And now they've got to trade with the rest of the world. And Australia is waiting for it because we can't trade as much as we used to with China. We're going to have to look elsewhere in this country. We're watching the fulfilment of Bible prophecy. Where does it come to an end? At the end of that period of 70 years of decline, Britain's prosperity will be restored by God, says verse 17. Look at this. It shall come to pass after the end of 70 years that Yahweh will visit Tyre, and she shall turn to her higher, and shall commit fornication with all the kingdoms of the world upon the face of the earth. In other words, go out and trade with them all, like a harlot trades in the streets. But then where does it culminate? Verse 18. And her merchandise and her hire shall be holiness to Yahweh. It shall not be treasured nor laid up, for her merchandise shall be for them that dwell before Yahweh. Who might that be, do you think? The nation of Israel? The saints? To eat sufficiently and for durable clothing. It's telling us that Britain is going to play a part in the kingdom of God. At least in the early years of the kingdom of God. They will have a part in supplying food and clothing. Everybody knows Britain, of course, is long, has a long history in the garment industry and still today is the top garment maker. So these things are happening. They're happening before our very eyes. So Isaiah 23 and Ezekiel 38 verse 13 required Britain to be free from Europe at the time of the end. And we've seen it, brothers and sisters, and we know that we're not too far away from the end. That verse, verse 13 of Ezekiel 38, is very important, isn't it? Sheba and Dedan, we won't talk about them tonight. And the merchants of Tarshish, underline in your Bible the word merchants. It's not just Tarshish. It's like Isaiah 23 says. It's the merchants of Tarshish. It's about trading. It's about industry. It's about getting back on their feet. That's what's going to happen to Britain. Because God will make sure of it. That's what we're watching right now. I want to conclude with a few comments about where this world is heading in relation to its economic prosperity. It's been a year of ceaseless disasters, hasn't it? One thing after another. You cannot turn on your radio to listen to the news without finding a new disaster somewhere on earth. Why is this happening? So this saw this continuous string of natural disasters, so-called, which humanity blames solely on climate change and global warming. Fires and floods and drought and famine, rising sea levels and catastrophic weather events filled the year and caused economic and human distress all over the globe. And the COVID pandemic and other respiratory illnesses continue to overload medical systems. And no matter where you are, Australia, America, anywhere, the hospital system is in crisis. Threatened the viability of major economies such as the US and China, in the case of China because of their strict COVID policy. There is no letter. So why is this so? Why is this happening? Is it all due to just human interference in the environment? I don't believe so. When you ask the question, is, is it just climate change? Is it just man's responsibility? Or is God involved? We have a window into the answer to that question. 
We know that drought and famine are divine, a divine weapon to bring judgment upon humanity in the past, particularly upon his own people. And in Luke 21 verse 11, we read this. This, of course, deals with the time preceding the events of AD 70. In Luke 21 from verse 1 to verse 23, you have the events leading up to AD 70. And verse 24 talks about the dispersion of the Jewish people into all nations as a result of the events of AD 70 and a few decades later. But this is what verse 11 says in the preparation for AD 70. There would be great earthquakes in different places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. Now that word from is very important. It is the Greek preposition apo. You know, Greek is a language that has prepositions and they, they serve importantly in the interpretation of the language. It's properly and rightly translated here in the English from because apo has to do with the origin of things. It's where they come from. So these signs, the earthquakes, the pestilences, the fearful sights, the things that are happening, that were happening in the events leading to AD 70, were from heaven. That was their origin. I'm going to suggest to you that it's no different today. The divine judgments are coming. The great day of God Almighty is at hand. And if he prepared the earth for it, for AD 70, by these things, why wouldn't he do the same again? Why wouldn't he intervene in the affairs of humanity to bring them to a state where they could no longer endure? So how many more straws do you think need to be added to break the camel's back? By camel I mean the world's economic prosperity. How many more straws you reckon are needed? I thought, many thought, that it would happen this year. It hasn't happened this year yet. It may not happen this year. But there are many people who think it will happen next year. Natural disasters, of course, have catastrophic effects on the world's economy and its prosperity. Think about the insurance losses. The huge insurance losses from all of these disasters on top of the massive infrastructure requirements to rebuild and the loss of housing. You know, there are 4,000 homes threatened on the River Murray right now. How many of them are going to be inhabitable once this flood has passed at the end of the year? Will it pass at the end of the year? See, this is the kind of thing that's confronting humanity. What about the Ukraine war and the droughts and the floods concomitant with it that, have caught, that are causing starvation in Africa in particular and other places on Earth? Places like Afghanistan, for example. What about drought in China and the strict COVID policy which has slowed production and smashed their GDP? Worldwide inflation, what about that? Due to the war in Ukraine and the many disasters have caused hardship for nations and their populations. And I think most would agree right now that life is no longer as easy as it used to be. Where's it going? Where's it heading? Well, it's just like the days of Noah and Lot. In just like the days of Noah and Lot. And in Luke 17, verses 26 to 30, we know that the Lord speaks about our time, because he says, Thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man shall come, in verse 30. And there is a common denominator in these eras of history. They're both eras of divine judgment. They're both periods of prosperity. They both provide the pattern for Christ's return to the earth like no other, which is why he chose them, because he knew they would be the pattern for his second advent. You know, the times of Noah were, were uh, marked by violence. The times of Lot were marked particularly by perverse immorality. But Christ doesn't mention those things in Luke 17. He makes no mention of them. He's only got one concern. And his concern is, because he warns, he says, remember Lot's wife, his concern is that the prosperity of the times, which would begin to disappear, would put pressure on his people so that they will not be ready.
for the return. That's what his concern is. The pressure would come on. And to retain what you've got, you've got to extend yourself. Two or three jobs, if you can find work, you've got to take, make sacrifices and take steps that can interfere with the most important things in life. That was his concern. And he knew that these things would precede his return to raise the dead and that the world would collapse into what Daniel 12 verse 1 calls a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation on earth. There's never been anything like it in history. That's what's about to happen. And they're waiting for the global crash. Now this guy is famous, Harry Dent. You probably haven't heard of him. But he's famous in the financial world. Economist Harry Dent told Express Co UK he also foresaw a major crash which in its first instance could wipe 54 to 58% off markets, that is the stock markets. Mr Dent said, this bubble has to crash. It will crash. It will be the crash of your lifetime. It is, the, it is only just been a question of when will it crash. Now, we thought it would crash a long time ago. So did he. But it didn't. Why not? Because God didn't want it to crash. That's why. It's God's timing, not men's. It's the angels who manipulate these things. It's the angels who are doing things that are causing the distress of the world and will bring it to its knees in due time. When God's ready, it will happen. He further warned it could be such a blow to investors, they will not buy in next time. Now, this is, of course, the language of the financial world. By buy in, it means that rich people who get out of the stock market because they can see it's going to collapse, they get out of it, they sell early, and they sit there and they wait till the thing collapses, and you can then go in and buy shares at a very low price. So they go in and they buy, and they become even more wealthy. That's happened every time. But he thinks it's not going to happen again this time. He says, they will not buy in next time. They will not jump back in and buy the dip, he said. They'll say something's wrong, and they'll be right. Something is wrong. It's the time of divine intervention. Another snippet from the Business Insider, 21st of November 2022. <coughs> Stock market crash is coming in 2023. Even if US economy avoids recession, it doesn't matter if the US economy goes into recession or not. So what is the difference between a depression and a recession? This little article from CNN, you'll notice the date, 23rd of September 2020, so it's two years ago. ago. So keep that in mind. Recessions are periods of economic decline that last at least two quarters, while depressions are economic declines that last for years. With the global economy on lockdown for most of the first quarter, a recession is almost guaranteed. But it will take an unexpected and devastating economic shock to tip the economy into a full-blown depression, a stock market crash, may be the trigger. Well, we've just been talking about the stock market crash that's coming. Got a bit of a picture of where the world sits? Depressions produce huge, unexpected change. They change very quickly when economic necessity includes war, starvation and crime, when people who haven't got what they need take it by violent means. The time of trouble will produce similar dramatic changes in the alignment of nations in much worse circumstances than existed in the Depression years of the 1930s. People then were prepared to stand in queues to get the necessities of life. They will not do that in the future. And the nations of Europe we know must be brought into the Gogian Confederacy. The papacy must regain effective political influence in southern Europe. The nations from Syria to Pakistan must be brought under Russian control. And you could go on and list off a number of other things that are necessary before Armageddon that we don't yet see. How will that happen? And how will it happen so quickly? It will happen just like it did in the 1930s, when America withdrew from the world. 
America first policy took over. When in Europe, countries that, that had been at odds suddenly became partners. For example, Germany and Russia. Russia was still supplying a lot of, of raw materials for the German war effort on the 22nd of June, 1941, when the Wehrmacht crossed the border to invade Russia. They were still supplying them with the materials to produce the weapons to overcome them. How ridiculous is that? And you see what happens when you get into a crisis situation like there were in the 1930s? What you think are stable alignments of nations can completely collapse, can be turned on their head in a matter of weeks or, or days. It's going to happen again in that time of trouble such as never was. Brothers and sisters, we're in, we're in this passage in Scripture right now. Revelation 11 verse 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come. It's not too far away. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them, which destroy the earth. And you know that that word destroy, diethero in the Greek, means to rot thoroughly. And mankind has not only done that to his environment, he's done it to the spiritual environment, to the moral environment. He's, he's caused it to rot thoroughly. And the day of judgment will come to sweep this earth clean. We just need to be ready for it. Because Christ said, He that endureth unto the end shall be saved. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.